You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I have just spun the tankathon wheel, and therefore it is time for the first post-college basketball season 2022 NBA mock draft. You are locked on the NBA draft. It is a Wednesday morning. As such, I am your host today. It is me, Sam Ferris. You can follow me, as usual, uh, on Twitter at Draft Dummies. I've been there posting as usual, my stats, some stats, some of my thoughts, some clips, both of college basketball and prospects, as well as the rookies in the NBA. But the tournament just ended. I gotta say, I won the brackets I was in. I picked Kansas, ended up finishing in the 94th percentile. That strategy that I utilized to basically pick the winner, I picked Kansas basically because they had the easiest path. And that's what I've done the last two years, and I've won both my brackets. That seems to be a good strategy, so I'm going to be using that one going forward. Hopefully, you listened to some of my predictions that I did before the tournament started, and hopefully you guys had a successful bracket as well. But now that the season is over, we're diving full into the NBA draft, and there's no better way to kick that off than to do a mock draft and whenever i do that i like to mix up the order until we actually know it who doesn't love to spin the tankathon wheel so that's what i've done today and i'm going to go through the lottery so i'm going to go through 14 teams going to tell you the order that just came out it's certainly got some interesting quirks to it here I'll talk about kind of just briefly about my method then i'm going to go through the picks and then at the end i'll tell you maybe the next two or three guys on my board and who ended up being the biggest winners and losers from this exercise. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode, for making this show your first listen today, and hopefully that is the case every day. But without further ado, let's get into it. So... The exercise I'm doing today is a mock draft, therefore it is not exactly the same as a big board, but for me, in all intents and purposes, it's basically the same because I almost exclusively draft best player available. Now, there are circumstances where I'll have two or three guys in the same tier, and if that's the case, then yes, I might use kind of fit as the tie break in a certain circumstance but again for all intents and purposes this is pretty similar to my big board but this is the way i define it is this is what i would do if i were the gm for each of these teams and so now let's run down the tankathon spin that i did just five minutes ago quickly wrote out my thoughts and the picks to prepare for this but the spin on tankathon went as follows At number one, Portland actually moved all the way up five spots to number one. So a lot of intrigue, a lot of fun there right off the bat. At two, Houston Rockets stayed at two. At three, Orlando moved down two spots to sit in there at number three. Indiana moved up one to number four. Detroit at five. OKC moved down two spots to six. 
And then the rest of the lottery maintained its position. Sacramento, New Orleans, San Antonio, Washington at 10. Portland again at 11. So here they really win out and get 1 and 11. 12 is the Knicks, 13 Rockets, and 14 Charlotte Hornets. So I'm going to do my first few picks here. If you've listened to my show, you know that I have a certain prospect by the name of Chet Holmgren as my number one guy. And so that's who I'm taking here. I didn't really take much into account in terms of fit, especially with the Portland team that's almost gutted their roster. Of course, still have Damian Lillard coming back next year. But other than that, like they're just taking best player available. That's certainly what I would do. For me, that's Chet. He uh, comes from Gonzaga, so he'll stay Northwest here in this situation. Again, like I don't really care too much about the fit. I have him as the best prospect. In terms of tiering these guys out and like the tiers that I have, I would say like normally within a tier, it's like pretty much interchangeable. But for me, you know, the way I do it with the top four guys is I say it's kind of like a half tier in between each. So I have Chet 1A, Jabari 1B, Paulo Boncaro 1C, Jade Nivey 1D. So I did just spoil some of the picks coming up here, but Houston at number two, I would go with Jabari Smith and I would have picked Chet there. I think he is the best player and I think he's also the best fit in Houston just because I think he can cover up the most defensive just deficiencies that they have and that patchwork defensively is what Houston needs. But Jabari Smith, one of the biggest intrigues or the biggest pros with him is the scalability. It's the shooting and it's hopefully the versatility defensively. That scalability is a huge plus for me. Plus, he is the youngest guy out of this, you know, crop of the top four guys, a year younger than Chet. And as someone personally who believes in the importance of youth, in the age curve, in the development trajectory, that year is fairly significant in evaluating these guys. But just the ability to defend on the wing, the ability to shoot, and the season that he put up at Auburn all those things combined to make Jabari Smith my number two prospect. And again, one of the biggest benefits with him is he fits really well everywhere, hopefully because of the jumper and the scalability defensively. So that's who I have at number two is Jabari Smith to Houston. And then third, again, Orlando dropped two spots here to number three, but I'm going to take Paulo Boncaro here for them. And at three and four here, these are two of my favorite fits on the board. In fact, when I did my favorite fits episode of the podcast, maybe a month or two ago, I mentioned Paulo Boncaro. My favorite fit for him is Orlando, both from the team side and the player side, because I think they've got some good supporting players. Hopefully Jonathan Isaac comes back and then guys like Jalen Suggs and even Franz Wagner, who profiles more as like a really good third best player on a title contending team, Paulo can be a guy that soaks up usage, that has the ball in his hands, that creates for others and for himself. And so while a team like Houston already has Green, they have Shangoon, Portland has Lillard, Detroit has Cade, OKC also has SGA, they've got Giddy. Orlando doesn't really have that guy to dominate the ball, to, to soak up the usage, to create as much for others. And I really like 
Suggs playing off of him. I like Franz playing off of him. I like Jonathan Isaac. Hopefully he comes back and can be kind of that defensive ace, you know, in their core moving forward. So Paulo to me is the best fit here. And again, I might've thought about taking him at one, even though I have him as the third best prospect, you know, I I'd still probably go Chet one, but I don't worry too much. Like this is still a very good outcome, a very good scenario for Orlando. And we'll do one more pick before we get into a break here. At four, the Indiana Pacers, they moved up one spot. And for Indiana, I think that one spot that they moved up is gigantic because I'm going to take Jaden Ivey here. I said at three and four, these are my two favorite fits on the board. And this Ivy fit in Indiana is another one that I've talked about being one of my favorite fits on the board. Like if I had to just assign Jaden Ivy a team to go to that I think is fun, that I think fits, and that I think amplifies both him and his future teammates, it would be Indiana. I think his burst, his explosiveness, his ability to get to the rim will be or would be in this scenario the perfect fit and the perfect complement next to Tyrese Halliburton and then on the defensive side of the ball they'd obviously have things to work out but Halliburton is better off the ball and I think Ivy could hopefully develop into taking some of those assignments on ball now that is still kind of up for debate that's something we're going to have to see in terms of how he develops defensively but he has the physical tools he has the block and steal rate and just the physical profile more than anything. But again, offensively is what I'm looking at here in the fit where Halliburton is a very good jump shooter off the ball. He's a very good passer, but the handle is still a little bit weak. So they can almost share ball handling duties, but their biggest strengths when where for Ivy, it's the explosiveness getting downhill and attacking the rim, putting pressure on the rim. And for Halliburton, his biggest strengths is the shooting and the passing, some of those connecting skills as well. So those two guys fit together perfectly. If I'm Indiana, I'm ecstatic. And they are a team that sitting in that five spot right now, if they can move up into that top four, again, this is for everybody because I think the top four is clearly a separate tier in this class. But specifically for Indiana, them ending up with Jaden Ivey is a very, very good scenario all right we're going to get into a break here but coming up next i'm going to go through probably five through 12 do the majority of the picks there discuss some of those and then in the final segment i'll give a recap some of my winners and losers from this exercise and who the next best players available on my board are Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. They include lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses 
That's code locked on for their best deal this season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. All right, so let's recap the top four. It went Chet Holmgren, number one to Portland, Jabari Smith, number two to Houston, Paulo Boncaro, three to Orlando, Jade Nivey, four to Indiana. So the next two teams up on the clock are the Detroit Pistons and OKC, both of whom, unfortunately for them, moved down two spots in this scenario. So Detroit at number five. This is where, especially for you know either of these teams, I'm willing to take a swing. And for that reason, I'm going to take Shaden Sharp, number five. Obviously has not played this past season at Kentucky. You're basing your evaluation off of his pre-college stuff and off of, well, NBA teams that are going to get to see him behind the scenes in practice, in workouts. They're going to have to value that, obviously, much more than usual. I don't have access to the workouts. They haven't even happened yet, obviously, the pre-draft workouts. I don't even know if he's going to stay in this draft, but for this exercise... And because the top of this class needs a little bit of a boost, in my opinion, I'm leaving him in and I'm taking him five at Detroit. I think his slashing ability, his athleticism, you know, he's got the tools to be a good jump shooter and he's got good, decent size as well. And so I just like that fit next to Cade Cunningham, that athletic wing that I think is a really good pair for him. But more than anything, he's just the highest ceiling player left on the board, and that's what Detroit needs to aim for. And then OKC at six. This, to me, is a little bit of a heartbreaker for OKC. I think they, they're they not going to be happy to move down two spots, and I think they've ended up at one of the worst spots in the draft. However, the guy that I'm going to take is Jalen Duran. I don't know that it's the most sexy pick. Not a lot of people want to take a center, especially one that's more of a rim runner. You know, you might hear the Derek Favors comparison that I've talked about. You might hear the Robert Williams comparison. I think those are two apt comparisons for him. Those might not be the most sexy comparisons for a top seven pick, but he's the best player available. He really came on to end the season at Memphis, and he should still be he should have just finished his senior year in high school very young kid i really like him he's very athletic i mean he ended up playing very well for a good memphis team at the end of last year so those physical skills that profile and then actually being that productive at that age in college is a big like those are all very good and positive signs and indicators I guess the way that I'd say this is I'm just more confident in what he is and just more confident in his skills translating as more of a sure thing than the rest of these guys. Now, I I really still like 7 through 11 coming up a decent amount, but I do think Jalen Duran for a while was underrated as a prospect, and I think other people have started to move him up their boards after what he did to finish the season, I think I was a little bit early on that. He's a guy that I've mostly had in the top seven or eight this whole time, and I'm I'm fairly comfortable taking him at number six. Okay, so when Shaden Sharp to Detroit at five, OKC took Jalen Duran at six. At seven, Sacramento, I'm going to take A.J. Griffin. 
Now, I know that some people have him as a top five guy. I've flirted with having AJ Griffin as a top five guy in this class, but it's just tough for me to get there. I think my thought on this is if you have him as a top five guy in this class, I think you have to bake in or you have to believe that he hasn't fully recovered his athleticism from the injuries he went through because he he just really lacks some of that explosiveness. And I know you could certainly argue that he's being held back by his role playing almost exclusively exclusively off the ball at Duke and that Coach K um, wasn't very inventive getting him the ball in kind of advantageous situations. There's certainly all types of context arguments you could make, but he just doesn't look as explosive as I'd like for like a 6'6 wing if I'm taking him top five. And so again, my thought is, if you really believe in him in a top five guy, you think there's another level he's going to go up athletically. You think I think you have to believe that he hasn't fully regained his full level of athleticism coming off the multiple injuries he suffered, both coming into this college basketball season and even going back to high school. But a very smart player at six foot six. He's strong. He's fairly physically developed compared to most wings that you see at his age coming into the draft. And he can really shoot it. Shot almost 50% from three last season at Duke. Proved that he can play a role off the ball. And when it comes to belief in him creating on the ball, I'd say I'm somewhere in the middle. I know there are people that are higher and lower on that aspect. And that's kind of how much you believe in him improving his ability on, on ball. Uh, his ability to attack, and where you believe he ends up athletically probably determines where you are on A.J. Griffin. I'm somewhere in the middle. I have him in that 6-7 spot on my board. So here I take A.J. Griffin 7 to Sacramento. Coming up next at number 8 is the Pelicans by way of the Lakers, who, yeah, they made that trade to move the pick to New Orleans. And so New Orleans has got to be feeling pretty good about this, having the eighth pick potentially right now. In this scenario, I was deciding between three guys. Uh, The three guys I'm deciding between are Johnny Davis, Benedict Matherin, Keegan Murray, all guys you'll normally see in this range. In the end, though, I'm going to go with Johnny Davis. I started high on Johnny Davis. I was one of the few that had him as a first-round pick coming into the season. I don't want to let my last few viewings of him, my last kind of, uh, the last time I saw him basically was when he was kind of at his worst. He was a little bit broken down. He was worn down from the season. He had to carry that Wisconsin team on his back. And so his athleticism kind of deteriorated as his body was just worn down. He was suffering from a lot of nicks and bruises at the end of the season. So There is a certain bias that some of us can have where we place too much emphasis on the last sample we consumed from that prospect. I don't want to fall prey to that. And so I'm trying to balance kind of the whole season, my whole view of him. And so in that scenario, I don't want to penalize him and move him down too far. He's a guy I've had at five or six. And so I've got him in this eight to 10 range. I'm fine with him anywhere in this range. In this scenario, I'm going to take him at eight. I think um, I think he would fit well next to a guy like C.J. McCollum at this point. But as 
Jay McCollum ages out. Hopefully he can take more of that kind of screen burden and explore more of the on-ball offensive side of, the, of his game that he did this year at Wisconsin. But until then, he can play the role of being a very good defensive guard, hopefully. He's only six foot four, so you know, I always talk about how length is the number one indicator of how well defense translates. But I, I view him as kind of a little bit of a lesser version of Jalen Suggs, and I think he can provide that defensive impact from day one that'll help. And New Orleans has found success with guys like that in the past that can come in, defend Herb Jones. There's been a bunch of them, Alvarado, even Najee Marshall going back. I think Davis can get into the lineup and play in that rotation by making his impact defensively and then explore his offensive potential down the line. So then at number nine with San Antonio, I'm going to take Benedict Matherin. Again, deciding between him and Keegan Murray. I'm going to go Matherin here because I think San Antonio can use the shooting. And I view Matherin, I think I talked about him on last week's episode. Some potential comparisons would be like a 6'6 version of a Malik Monk or, you know, some people aren't going to love this comparison because it's, again, not a sexy one, but Jeremy Lamb is a prospect, but, you know, he didn't end up hitting. He ended up suffering from from injuries and so had a little bit of a disappointing career, but somewhere in that realm of maybe a 10% better version of a Jeremy Lamb, a 6'6 Malik Monk. But the point is that San Antonio can use that shooting, and I think he... Honestly, he's just the best player available at this spot. In terms of his on-ball creation stuff, I think it's going to depend partially on where he ends up, just how much opportunity he gets. I don't see him getting enough opportunity in San Antonio, but I can still see him being, because he is a fantastic movement shooter. He's a good athlete at six foot six, So he likely ends up as like a high-end role player, but a role player that's, fairly portable that can shoot and i think his ceiling will be again determined by how how many reps he gets on the ball throughout his career how much that develops and then the defensive side of the ball as well all right at number 10 the washington wizards they're gonna take keegan murray here i'm gonna revisit this pick later on in my recap because i think it's interesting to think about in the context of the team development and other prospects that they've taken recently So we're going to come back to that one, but I'm going to take Keegan Murray at 10 to Washington. All right, so Portland is back up on the clock. As a reminder, they took Chet number one earlier. Here at 11, I'm going to take Dyson Daniels, and this is kind of the end, I would say, of a tier for me. So those are my top 11 players. Dyson Daniels, I've kind of slowly nudged him up. I've always been pretty high on him. I've talked about that in the past. A guy I believed in coming into the year. Now, I don't know how much you believe in these, um, but you know, reports of him being six foot seven, and you watch the video of him, you look at the the film, and just these videos they're putting out. I know it's workout season. You don't want to put too much stock in these, but that extra height especially for a guy that profiles more as like a defensive ace, kind of like a defensive wing guarding twos, threes, and ones. Him being six foot seven with a plus wingspan is really important for him. 
And I, I think he develops offensively too. I think he's very smooth. The jump shot's going to need to speed up. But he ends up in a team in Portland where he's going to get reps. He's going to be um, emphasized. He's going to be important. He's going to be a part of their core moving forward. And he is the last guy that I have in that tier here. So we're going to get into a commercial break and then I'll finish up the picks 12 through 14, which include the Knicks, another Houston pick, and then Charlotte. And then after that, I will wrap things up with my winners and losers from this exercise. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. This is the time of year. Most everyone's given up on their New Year's resolutions, but you do not need to, and I don't need to either. Stick to eating Built Bars, and that means you're eating healthy. That means you they can help you stick to these New Year's resolutions. They are 100% covered in real chocolate. They taste great, but they're also low calorie and high protein. Go ahead and replace your candy bars with these. They are better, they taste the same, and you'll be more healthy. So go to Built.com and look at their macros chart. I think you'll be blown away again with these high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb, and because you're listening to us, you get this special offer where if you go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Alrighty, let's finish this up with New York Knicks and then Houston by way of Brooklyn and then Charlotte at 14. So... With the Knicks, I'm going to take highest ceiling. I'm going to take best player available. Now, before I get into this pick, though, this group coming up next, I have like a bevy of these wings, all of which I'm excited about and all of which I like for different reasons, but it's kind of hard for me to parse through and really separate them too much from each other. The guy that I'm going to go with here, though, at 12 is Pat Baldwin. So he's in this group with these other wings. And I know a lot of people will be saying, based on the season he just had at Milwaukee, based on his production, he should not go this high. He really struggled, whether you look at the overall metrics, whether you look at just the raw stats, the shooting percentages even, it was all pretty rough. But it was the worst context he could have. He got injured multiple times, tried playing through it, didn't go well. Look, it was bad. It was almost a worst case situation. But if you go even look at the beginning of his season, he had some nice performances. I mean, things didn't start out that poorly. And then you go back, he played for the USA FIBA youth team. And he was a very good high school player. I mean, if you just only look at the first few weeks of his college season and before that he's a guy I had as like a top six guy in this class and so I just can't move him down too far based on the context based on one college season in a terrible situation I was higher on him pre-college because of the size the shooting and the skill level and to me he just feels like one of those guys where if he goes to a team where he gets an opportunity you know, towards the end of his rookie season, we're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, like this guy's six foot nine. He's got a pure shooting stroke. He can handle the ball a bit. Like it's just hard to find guys with that size, that skill level that can shoot. 
if he ends up working out, he's a guy that you're excited to have as part of your core moving forward. Just one of those big wings that can shoot with skill. That's who everyone's looking for. And if you squint hard enough and just look past a terrible and frankly just a worst case scenario freshman season in college, like I'm just willing to bet on the upside and I'm not willing to bet moving him down that far. I still think he's a good player with a ton of upside. I know I have him higher than most, but that's who I'd take at 12 is Pat Baldwin. So I'm taking it for the Knicks there. As I hinted at, the next two guys are also kind of bigger wings. At 13, Jeremy Sohan, a guy that's moved up. A lot of people have moved him up on their boards as well. I have him in the same tier here with Pat Baldwin. Also, Kendall Brown, one of his teammates, I have in the same tier. But Sohan, I think, is he's a guy that already understands defense off the ball at a high level. He can make reads. He's very long. He was already a very effective player, especially defensively, but you could see his improvement all around throughout the season. So we like the the trajectory that he's on. We like the youth. He's obviously was just a freshman this past season and still contributed at a high level for a good Baylor team. So when you combine the youth, you combine the physical tools, the defensive ability, and there is some offensive ability. The shot is certainly not broken. The form is there. He even flashed some, like, kind of post-fadeaways. You know, the knock on him, he's not the quick, he's not the twitchiest athlete. He's not going to be in a dunk contest. But again, for like a 6'8", 6'9", guy with a big plus wingspan, with a decent feel for the game, and already a good off-ball defender, like, those are very big and very important positives, and I'm willing to bet on the rest. So he's in there with that bevy of other big wings. And then rounding out the top 14 is Charlotte. And at 14, I'm taking Tari Eason here. He's a guy, well, because when you're doing draft analysis stuff, it's important to value both the film work, the eye test, in other words, as well as the analytics. Ideally, you'd balance both almost equally. Some people lean more in one direction than the other. He's a guy where the analytics just love him. He was a sophomore this past season at LSU, but any way you slice it, uh, in terms of the catch-all metrics, the box plus minus that I always quote, that BPM, he had like the fifth best season for any non-big as an underclassman. So that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a mouthful. But I think the top four seasons over the last like 13 years, the database goes back to 2008. This is Bart Torvik. If you look at just non-bigs, and the reason I excluded bigs is because oftentimes in this metric, they're a little bit overrated because of the big rebounding and shot blocking metrics. So I just wanted to exclude them for the purpose of this query. And so I just looked at the best seasons by box plus minus for non-bigs. And these are only underclassmen, so freshmen and sophomores since 2008. Number one on that list, Zion Williamson. Number two, Steph Curry's sophomore season. Number three was Keegan Murray this season. And number four was Tari Eason this season. And so, any way you slice it with him, like the steal and block numbers that are good indicators or proxies for like that athleticism, that... uh, that activity rate, those are all good. 
Like, he just graded out as LSU's best player. Now, I don't know why they didn't start him all season. Say what you want there. I think he's a very good defensive player, and he's got the tools. He's got the framework and the base offensively, but his kind of wingy skills are still very um, primary, very raw. They have not developed. But there is the flashes and the baseline of a handle that's intriguing. He does have decent strength. He has decent... Uh, he has decent feel and he can, he was obviously already very effective in college. So it's not like he's starting from nowhere. And so if he hits, he could be a guy that I think comes in a lot higher than 14 and the numbers like him. And so that's why I do have to value. And I, I try to force myself to value both the eye test and the stats, the stats and the analytics for Eason really boost him up. That's why I'm including him in this group. So those last three picks, Pat Baldwin to New York, Sohan to Houston, and Charlotte got Tari Eason. Really quick, just to finish everything up here, the next two guys on my board were Kendall Brown and then Terquavion Smith, a guy that I think has been underrated by some, had a very good freshman season. And to finish up, a couple winners and losers. Number one winner here is Portland obviously jumped up to number one to get both Chet Holmgren and Dyson Daniels in a draft is a franchise changing moment. In my opinion, it's a grand slam home run. They are the biggest winners at Houston or at, at the number two spot in terms of winners. You, I picked Houston. They ended up at two and 13 and the guys that they ended up with in this exercise were Sohan and Jabari Smith, who I think complement each other, but I think more than that, getting those long, talented, defensive-minded wings, and then of course Jabari Smith can really shoot, but those long wings that you can put next to and really complement Jalen Green and Shen Goon moving forward, that to me is a home run for them as well. And then just two more really quick. I talked about Indiana already. I love Jaden Ivey next to Halliburton. That's like the ideal compliment. And I think they're big winners. And then finally, Orlando as well. I talked about this already, but Paolo, you could argue, like I'd listen to arguments for taking him number one to Orlando. Fits really well there. They don't have the primary on-ball guy yet. Some people certainly could argue and would argue that Paolo can do that. So I like the fit there. To finish up with two losers though, OKC to me is the obvious one where it just really feels like OKC needs to stay in that top four. Like this is a four, it's a four man tier at the top for me, even though I've got kind of like a half tier among each of them, like I've said, but like, I like Jalen Duran as a prospect, but he's not altering your franchise. In my opinion, he's a good starting center, but it would just really hurt OKC. I think to miss out even on Shaden Sharp at five, at least he's like a home run swing, but certainly those top four, like that that would just hurt for OKC fans. They already, like, I like Josh Giddy, but them missing out on those top four or five guys last year hurt. And if that were to happen again, you could just see the morale potentially drop. Them just not, again, getting a franchise cornerstone, in my opinion. And lastly, one that I wanted to hit on is Keegan Murray ending up in Washington, where I think it's just, it's intriguing to think about because 
Washington has ended up over the last few drafts kind of collecting these like tweener-ish wings where it's like kind of three, kind of four in both Denny and Rui Hachimura. Even like Corey Kispert is kind of playing like a similar role. And so those guys are almost like eating into each other's roles of development to a certain extent. And if you're to add Keegan Murray, he like, to me in the modern NBA plays the same position as Denny and Rui Hachimura especially. And so you would just be kind of like eating up each other's progression, development, and reps at those positions. Now, like some of those guys you can play together, but chances are that's not really going to happen to the extent necessary for their development. So that would be something intriguing to keep your eye on. Now, I thought he was the best player available. You could argue Dyson Daniels too. I have them in the same tier. But so I'd still be fine taking him. I think he's certainly more talented than Rui and Corey Kispert and probably Denny too, to be honest. And so I would probably prioritize him over those guys, but that's just something to keep an eye on. And I just haven't really loved the talent that Washington has collected over the last few years. Not a ton of variety. They don't complement each other well enough. And also just not enough high-end elite talent either. And so they, to me, would be kind of a loser both for Keegan Murray, but also for Washington here. All right, well, that was it for today. I'm glad I could get through my first mock draft. I always enjoy doing the Tankathon spins. Uh, We'll have to do it again at some point for sure. That's kind of one of the funnest parts of doing the draft work. Uh, Next time, I'll have a guest on to uh, throw me some curveballs, make some different picks, make me sweat a little bit. (laughs) But thank you so much for tuning in. I very much appreciate it. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Thank you.